Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Soccer fans all over the world, it is time. It is time for another strong session of into the net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the Soccer Talk edition of the Dallas Cowboys podcast, available to you on Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Amazon Music. This is the Bear of Texas, reporting live from an undisclosed location deep in the heart of Texas. It's my honor to welcome back my good friend, Ed Mentor, residing in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the soccer genius he is Steve Adams. What's going on, Steve? Hey, happy hump day for everybody just getting through with their Wednesday. Uh, awful lot of talking points with the soccer from uh, from the EPL over the weekend. And then uh, Champions League started back up yesterday and matches today. So a lot of talking points. So let's dive in. Well, before we dive in first, ladies and gentlemen, let's wish Steve a happy belated birthday. Big 6-0. <laughs> Um, I keep wondering when I'm going to grow up, but, um, no, awesome. My, my son who lives in Minnesota and my daughter who lives in Boulder, Colorado, they came out on Saturday and surprised me while I was at, uh, my favorite brewery over in Van Nuys, the Cloud Brewing Company. I've been there. <laughs> totally surprised me. And, um, we had a very nice party, uh, at my place on Saturday, had some friends over and my gosh, I've got more scotch and bourbon that was given to me as gifts. I'm, I seriously, I'm probably good for whiskey for at least another year. Um, <laughs> I, I made, I made quite the haul. All right. Well, once again, happy birthday to you. We're so excited for you, Steve, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next month. 
Yeah, it's going to be fun coming out there in a couple weeks, partner. All right, so let's go and get right to it. First game, okay, now we're, we're going to go ahead and start with a, re, uh, with a recap of last week's uh, last weekend's Premier League. And we're going to go ahead and start with Everton and Liverpool. And, well, I guess if this is definitely a game to remember, but this this uh, derby really, the last, uh, last 10 years or so, hasn't really been uh, very entertaining. I mean, Liverpool, there's only been one win and Liverpool hasn't. Well, Liverpool has kind of owned Everton, not too unlike what PSG had done with Olympic Marseille in France for so long, except this is not uh, the same old Everton that we've seen in the last decade. This is easily the best Everton side that I've seen since the mid-80s, back when they won an English title and they, they won some FA Cups and they won the European Cup Winners' Cup. Very good team, undefeated going into this. A lot of talking points, though. Um the tie wasn't that bad for Liverpool, but what was frustrating was several points. Number one, um, the goaltender for Everton, Pickford, just basically taking out Virgil van Dijk's knees. Uh, blew an ACL. Van Dijk's season, shot, done. Van Dijk is arguably Liverpool's best player. It wasn't until Liverpool got Van Dyke in the back that they were back to winning hardware again, helping them win a UEFA Champions League, helping them just win the EPL. Um, with him being out the rest of the year, uh, he's, he's such a huge presence. He quarterbacks the back. Uh, he brings tremendous height on set pieces to help defend. And I, and I truly think on Keane's header... Uh, for Everton's first goal, I think the lack of Van Dyke was was a very very key role in that. But what to me was laughable, uh, Pickford did not get called for a foul. He did not get called for a red card because the feeling was well the play was offsides. So what you're saying then is that if a play is offsides and another player say punches somebody, you're not going to red card him. It was a totally reckless challenge um and you know everton made you know they were making some pretty hard fouls i mean towards the end of the game uh Richarlson came in with a really nasty foul on um on uh tiago alcantara and uh luckily it didn't break his legs i mean at first at first blush i thought that they were going to need to bring a stretcher out for him but still no really horrible long-term damage but it kept Thiago from being able to play today for Liverpool in the Champions League against uh, Ajax. Um, that, that was very frustrating. Uh, Liverpool should have had the winning goal in stoppage time from Henderson. And maybe one of the worst VAR decisions that I've ever seen on an absolutely phantom offside against Sadio Mane. I mean, I still, I've looked at that, and I still, for the life of me, cannot tell how the hell they could say that he was offside. I mean, he looked absolutely even with them. Um, I mean, he totally so. did. I mean, th and this is coming from a Manchester United fan, but this is not about hating Liverpool or whatever. I mean, this is just about the game, about the game's reputation. Look, what people don't seem to understand is you can't... Okay, people who are blaming the VAR, I ask them, you do understand the referee makes the final decision. The VAR just shows you. The referee can still make the dumb decision, so I kind of blame this on the ref. I think I think VAR is one of those things that it was started with the best of intentions, 
And to be fair, in the last couple of years, uh, Liverpool in both the EPL and the Champions League, they also were on the beneficiary end of a couple of really, really questionable VAR calls as well. So, I mean, you know, karma is a funny thing, but uh, Everton's really physical, well, you say physical, I say dirty, style on, sa- on Saturday morning. Uh, even Jurgen Klopp, who almost never comments on such manners, and um, their mid- Liverpool's midfielder, Wijnaldum, I mean, they both were absolutely livid in the post-game uh, press conference afterwards. Absolutely livid about um, you know those those plays about losing Van Dyke on the the Pickford chop down on Van Dyke and um, on Richarlison's aggression on Thiago. So uh, yeah, it's 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 one of the few times I've ever seen Klopp you know, really, really PO'd. I mean, you can't blame it. But before we wrap up this this game between Everton and Liverpool, with the, so if it, so, I, I saw the highlights and how Van Dyke, you know, the goalkeeper, even though it was an offside, does this remind you a bit of what happened in 1982 in that infamous semifinal between France and West Germany when Schumacher, I believe, the German goalkeeper, uh, you know, uh, struck uh, Batiston, I believe it was that. Yeah, that actually that one was much worse. Okay, but it's a similar so, situation, though, right? The, 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 the Schumacher one was, uh, for people, if you want to go back and look at the YouTube video, uh, Platini plays a through ball, and Batistan is going in all alone uh, uh, to try to pick up the pass uh, that's going in on Schumacher. Schumacher charges, makes absolutely no attempt at the ball. And he basically hip-checks Batistone, who is running at full speed, hip-check, elbow, knocks Batistone out colder than a mackerel, uh, knocks several teeth out. Uh, no, this that one was a much, much worse foul. But, uh, you know, and this was in, obviously in the days before VAR. And for the life of me, the Dutch referee Korver, to this day, 38 years later, I still do not know how he was the only person in Seville who did not see that assault on, on Bathystone. It was absolutely shameful. I mean, what's even more shameful is after the game, Schumacher kind of made a mockery out of the whole thing. Yeah. No, that one... I, I mean, what Pickford did was bad, but uh, I, I, still, I still think the Schumacher foul, as far as like a goaltender foul on a field player... Uh, I still think that one was probably one of the worst ones I've seen. Absolutely. I mean, I mean when I talked to my dad about it, he, he, he kind of like, he has that little frustrating tone in, in his eyes when he bring it up because I'm guessing he remembers it very well because, you know, he was studying just like you at the time in France and, you know, he remembers, he was pretty mad about it too because it was a dirty hit because he sees in soccer when a, when, a, when a hit is dirty on no, no matter what team it is, he doesn't like it because in his view, it's a disgrace to the game. But, yeah. you know, it's going to happen. But, but yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, I saw the VAR. I mean, that's why I posted it on the on the Stoppage Time FC page. And obviously, you know, Joe Maver doing what he does best. You know, saying sorry, not sorry. But you know, of course, those are the words from him. But but you know, it's it's definitely a shame that VAR. It didn't take long for VAR to damage its own reputation because VAR is supposed to make the game fair and you know incite more justice. But but at the end of the day, as I said before, the referee makes the final decision, so it's not really on the system itself. It's just 
I guess the incompetence or the biasness of, of a referee who's just going to well, do that. What I don't understand is how is it that in rugby where they have, you know, the, the TMO television match official, how is it that in rugby the TMO system works so well on review for deciding scores of tries for finding, you know, red card offenses or yellow card offenses within the course of play in rugby. And, you know, rugby on field officials seem to be able to work in concert very well with the TMO and, and generally they get it right. Whereas with VAR in soccer and, you know, it seems to me particularly in the EPL, uh, there's just there's just been so many unbelievably head scratching decisions uh, off the VAR. So I, you know, I I think that there's probably a growing number of coaches and players that would like to see it scrapped. Will Will the FA follow suit? It's hard to say. And um, you know, it was a game finished a two two draw, uh, two goals. Uh, Mane scored early in the third minute. Salah scored a really Really nice reflex volley, um, half volley at the 72nd minute. Super goal. Uh, Calvert-Lewin, uh, the new star uh, striker for English players. Uh, on the goal he scored, on that header, he got just unbelievable airtime. Like Cristiano Ronaldo, Michael Jordan type, hanging in the air type air to to score on a really, really nice header. Um you know, and um, but yeah, so so that was that. Everton still undefeated, but uh, they didn't get the full points. I personally thought Liverpool had the more and better scoring chances, but you know, on the bright side, uh, at least it was at least it wasn't a loss. It wasn't, and Everton remains on top. While Liverpool's now at third. So now we get to Tottenham and West Ham. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I feared. Was, I feared something like this would happen. And <laughs> this was this was a tale of two of you know fifteen minute to start the game from Spurs, <laughs> where they score their three goals, and then the last nine minutes of the game for West Ham when they scored their three goals. What are the I odds? Mean, I mean, it's like nothing. Not a whole lot happened in between that, but uh, early on, I mean, Spurs came out roaring. I mean, Son gets a goal off a really nice assist from from uh, Harry Kane. Kane gets two goals, and you know they're they're up three to zip. You know, at the eighty first minute, how could you possibly piss it away? Um, well, they managed to. You know, care of uh, you know first goal, then an own goal, and then West Ham's third goal by Lanzini was just an absolute thing of beauty. Uh, absolutely s- struck it ever so sweetly from just outside of the box and, you know, sailed, might have taken a slight deflection off of one of the Tottenham uh, defenders, but it was a golasso. It was just a fantastic goal, and um, the shots of uh, David Moyes, the West Ham manager, just prancing around like a kid at Christmas time. Uh, it was it was priceless. Uh, ended up being a really good game, a well earned point for the Hammers. Uh, tough two points lost for for Tottenham. West Ham now ninth ninth place, so they're beginning to climb a little bit. You know, two wins, one draw, and two losses. I mean, 
it's a better start than uh, than the last few years. But but I was shocked. I was because I remember like I looked at the score like after thirty minutes, and I was like, okay, Tottenham's up three nothing. Okay, I, I guess they got. I guess I guess the game's out of reach. I mean, maybe Kane or Hansung Min will add another goal late in the game, just you know, just for insurance. Then you know an hour later, look. I was like, oh wait, I should go back and look at the score. So they win. I see three to three, and I look D, and I look. I always look at the scores like, wait, when this goal is happening? I was like, oh my god, <laughs> a fifteen, yeah. a fifteen minutes of fame for both teams. One team at the very early of the game, the other team right in the closing minutes. What are the odds, Steve? Yeah, I mean, ended up ended up being a very very good game. Uh, well, at least for West Ham, yeah, but for uh, Jose Mourinho and company, not so much. <laughs> uh, and now let's go, let's go and get to another game that kind of ended in a similar fashion. Not quite, but definitely is, is a similar fashion. I'm talking about Chelsea and Southampton. Very entertaining game. <laughs> Very entertaining game. Uh, another draw match, but... You know, you can't complain about any match where there's, you know, six goals scored. Uh Timo Werner, two goals, two goals for Chelsea. Uh, Havertz with a goal for Chelsea. Uh, you know, Southampton just didn't go away. They they stuck in there, um, and I think they have to be very happy about being able to go to Stamford Bridge and getting a point. I mean, they should. I mean, first on you know, two nothing lead after thirty minutes, and then right before halftime, a dude named Danny Ings, uh, you know, makes it two to one, and then. At the fifty seventh minute, it's two to two, but it doesn't take long for Chelsea to get to, you know to take the lead once again, and then it kind of seems like they were you know probably passing the ball around. Chelsea was you know trying to close out the game, but then it happens. A dude named uh, I'm guessing it's Yannick Vestergaard. It's hard to pronounce those names, but I'm pretty sure it's Yannick. Scores you know in in the stoppage time to make it three to three. I'm just like. I think the problem with Chelsea is they have horrible defense. I don't know what the bigger problem is, the goalkeeping or the or the defense. I, I guess I guess it's defense because goalkeeping is part of defense, right? Well, the goalkeep goalkeeping cock up definitely led to Southampton's first goal. Um, that was that was Keystone Cops uh, bad, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, Chelsea's Achilles heel. Uh, right now is clearly their defense. Uh, it's got issues. Uh, good news for American soccer fans. Uh, Christian Pulisic manages to to play, so it's good to see him be able to get some minutes for Chelsea. That's right. He actually started the game, I believe. He did. He did. Yeah, he, I, I didn't. Uh, well, haven't heard any. It doesn't seem like he's suffering any ill effects. So it seems like it's so far so good. Um, don't, I didn't expect him to score in this game. I mean, you know, it, it would have been great, but you know what? He, he's working his way back up. Let's not rush the guy. Let's let him pick up the groove, you know, get him get back to the comfort zone. The, the guy's going to be okay, just as long as he's healthy. Agreed. Okay. And uh, based on, on the standings, you know, Chelsea's now eighth in this, you know, in Southampton. You know, Southampton's still stuck in the bottom. Southampton still in 12th place, but in their case, I mean, they're ahead of the likes of Newcastle and Manchester United, so... I would say this is definitely a win for Southampton, even though you know they had to sell for a draw. But you know the fact that they salvaged the game, you know, deep into stoppage time to humiliate Chelsea, that's definitely a win for them. No, I think it was definitely a good result for the Saints. Okay, all right. Now we get to Manchester City and Arsenal. Well, I expect not the greatest game. No, not the greatest game. Um, 
Man City had just enough. Uh, St- Sterling scores on you know a bit of a scramble in the box. You know the one goal is enough. Uh, Arsenal's attack looked very sterile. Uh, you know, very very pedestrian game. Uh, you know, def- definitely not the best game of the weekend. No, definitely not. You know, six hundred sixty-five passes completed by Manchester City, and wow. I mean, based on on that, I, I figured you know Arsenal, you know, would probably put in one goal, but I, I I just not sure exactly what was the problem. They they obviously could not score, but well, like like I said, actually was not in this. Did not play in this game. Yeah, yeah, I mean they they really didn't seriously challenge. Well, they well he did play, but he was not a starter, I should say. Right. Oh, that that that's kind of shocking. Maybe Arsenal might say, "Well, if he did, then maybe he would. They would have won." Well, that's kind of a judgment call. You know, anything could have happened. But yeah, this game really not not much to talk about. Manchester City took the win, and as far as the standings goes, Manchester City down eleventh, Arsenal still at fifth. Uh, but in Arsenal's case, I believe this is probably their second consecutive lot. Nope, it's it's not actually no. After after losing, to, okay, they had that loss against. Uh, Liver uh, against uh, Liverpool, and then yeah, right, yeah, and, and then you know they won a couple. They won a couple of games in the Premier League. They won a couple of Premier League games, so I think Arsenal's still in good position. I mean, Manchester City needs to kind of pick up the pace a little bit, but but I think Man City. I think both teams should be should be okay. Yeah, I mean, this was one that I think sort of went went to plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, now here's interesting: Newcastle versus Manchester United. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! After two minutes, what I from the results? I mean, I was following the game. Luke Shaw, a known goal in two minutes. I'm like, that's it. All right, there we go. I'm, I'm not even gonna pay attention. Newcastle's just gonna Newcastle's just gonna take care of this. But I swallow my pride, and about 20 minutes later, I, I look at the score. It's one to one, and who who scores? Harry Maguire. I mean, yeah, after that bad game, you know, especially in England during the in the. Nations League play, he scores on a beautiful header. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe he's beginning to, you know, he's, he's finally going to start proving himself. He's finally going to, he's finally going to grow up, I should say. But, but well, then, he, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. He's definitely becoming the player that a, a lot of fans like to rag on. And, uh, you know, Maguire's form for both uh, club and country have not been great. But uh, it was a nice header that he scored, uh Man U's second goal uh, off a lovely back heel that Fernandez buried uh, was a nice bit of craftsmanship. And, you know, Man U just pretty much dominated the rest of the game. I mean, you could argue that Man U scored all the goals since Newcastle's only goal was off a Shaw own goal. So, um, so anyway, um, but, you know, it was a good win for Man U after what's been a really up and down. Uh, start of the new season for them you know they'll they'll be very happy with with a three goal win at st james's park in newcastle see and what's the highlight of this game and, and this is sad to talk about is that bruno fernandez missed his very first penalty uh representing uh manchester united but fortunately he was able to make up for it you know in the 86th minute as you describe a beautiful goal it's just amazing. Like within the last five minutes of the game, you know, including we've, not including stoppage time. I mean, Manchester United finally became aggressive. You know, uh, Aaron Wan Bissaka makes it three to one in the ninetieth minute, and then deep in the stoppage time, probably in the, in the closing seconds, Marcus Rashford, you know, breaks through and adds another. So, 
I told myself if they played that way, if they pulled through at the end, maybe it's a sign of change. It's maybe, maybe, just maybe. Because somehow, someway, Manchester United kind of came up clutch. People say that's okay because it's, it's Newcastle United. But knowing Manchester United for how terrible they are, dude, even Fulham could... Even Fulham is perfectly capable of pulling off some major upset against Manchester United. But somehow, they finally had it in them. They finally found the way to come up clutch. But this game was still, you know, 28 shots, 14 on target, you know, 629 passes. I mean, they were being aggressive, but they were just having a hard time finding the net until the closing minutes of the game. Well, it still is a positive result. I it mean, is. A win's result, a win. they, yeah. you know, I mean... After after Shaw's goal, own goal, I mean, man, you pretty much owned the match. You know, Newcastle really didn't have much of a threat after after that. So, uh, you know, I think I think for Man U fans, I think that they could sort of breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief after after that result in the North of England. I mean, based on the game they have next, I mean, they needed this win. All right, so before we get to previewing the next week, now we're going to talk about Leicester City and Aston Villa. Ooh. Well, uh, a Midlands derby, you know, Leicester and Birmingham, where Aston Villa plays, are are not very far apart from each other in the in the in the in the West Midlands. Um, Barkley, you know, the, the who came over to Villa from Chelsea, got himself another goal. He got Villa's uh, winner, you know, fairly late, and um, you know the the villains got another three points and. Uh, you know, for a team that barely survived staying up in the in the EPL, I mean, in, in my opinion, I think I think Villa is the story right now. They and Everton are definitely the two biggest surprises uh, so far in this young season. I mean, Aston Villa is undefeated. And by undefeated, I'm not saying uh, undefeated without a draw. They're four and zero, and that's all foreign wins. Well, with style points, with that seven-two beatdown on Liverpool in the last game, yeah. so it's like, so it's like you know they're not just, you know, they're not beating like the the really crummy teams. You know, they're 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 beating some pretty good sides. You know, Leicester City is, you know, up in the European spots in, in the EPL right now. So, uh, two wins. Uh, I mean, back-to-back wins against Liverpool and the Foxes. Uh, I think fans in Birmingham uh, have to be just absolutely giddy with uh, the start that they've had. Well, they have, you know. It's just, I'm just not used to seeing a start to the Premier League season with the likes of Everton and Aston Villa in the top spots, you know. I mean, it's just unbelievable, but you you, you said the keyword. It's a story, so as long as it gives a great story to remember, then, you know, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Yeah, indeed. All right. So before we get to the Champions League, let's go ahead and preview next week's game. And we're going to go ahead and start out with Manchester United and Chelsea. Well, first question I have is, I'm wondering if Edinson Cavani is going to appear in this game. I mean, I don't know if he's going to. I mean, if he does, it's probably going to be on the bench. But I think it's about time that Cavani actually steps on the on the on the in the on the field. But if he's in this game, he's definitely going to start out on the bench. If you ask me. I think usually with new arrivals like that, that seems to be the way they cycle them in. You know, they seem to have them have them come on in the bench at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, Manchester United is not only coming off a great win against Newcastle, 
Now, they're coming off a certain win, and we'll talk about that soon. I th- you know exactly the game I'm talking about. They pulled off yet another upset against a certain adver- adversary, but I don't want to spoil the surprise just yet. So Manchester United is a is on fire at the moment. I mean, all of a sudden, they're focused. They're applying pressure. They're handling the ball well. They're maintaining discipline. Like, things are fine. They're finally becoming Manchester United again. But the question is, will they stay that way? But now that they're going against Chelsea, Adel Trafford... Manchester United does not want to let their arch rivals take a win on their turf. So, but the fact that Chelsea... uh, Sorry about that. But the fact that Chelsea has a horrible defense and there's goalkeeping uh, issues, Manchester Manchester United knows they have to take advantage. And I think they will. I think that offense, the likes of Martial and Rashford... I heard Pogba, Fernandez, you know, and possibly Edinson Cavani coming in. That attack needs to take advantage of a horrible defense. So I, I and I think Manchester United can do it. Well, I'll tell you what, though, Man U's defense this early season, their defense hasn't been that great either, and De Gea uh, has not exactly been super stellar in goal either from for Man U. He hasn't been nearly as bad as the problems that Chelsea has had in net. Uh, but you know this one. This one actually could end up being a fairly high-scoring game, given the the well-documented travails that both Man U's and Chelsea's defenses are having. Exactly, which is why I'm going to go with a score of Manchester United wins four to three. You know, I'm I'm picking this one as a high-scoring draw. I can see this one finishing as a three-three draw. I mean that that's perfectly capable of happening too, but. But you brought up a good point. Since both teams have struggles of defensive struggles, especially with even with the goalkeepers, even though Chelsea might be in the worst situation, I can honestly say that both teams, are, in a sense, are kind of coming in evenly matched. Yeah. No, I think so. Yeah. You know, this one. But I think I definitely I think this one is the, the most high profile match of the weekend. Absolutely. Okay. Now we'll we'll get to West Ham and Manchester City. Well, West Ham is definitely coming off, you know, that game, that performance against Tottenham. But Manchester City is not Tottenham. No, sir. Well, I just I think Man City goes into uh, goes into <laughs> West Ham and I think they get the away win. I think they go yeah, I think Manchester City gets a 2 nothing win. All right. Now let's talk about your team. Let's talk Liverpool and Sheffield United. Well, Liverpool gets the Blades at a really good time. Uh, the Blades have, frankly, been awful uh, to start the new season. So, um, you know, the, the Blades from Yorkshire are going to have to go to Anfield and get a result. I think the only thing that Sheffield would be happy is that they're not really going to have to deal with Virgil van Dijk in the back for Liverpool. But, uh, but I think this is a match that I think... Uh, Klopp's guys should have their focus, and I think they should be able to get a fairly comfortable win against the Blades. I agree. I, I, I'm going to go with 3-1. to one. I mean, I'm, I'm nice enough to allow Sheffield United to have a goal, but like you said, since Virgil van Dijk is not there, Sheffield United is probably going to be able to find the back of the net one time. You know, you know they, Liverpool has clearly had some problems with defense um, in this young season. It's all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden, like these three huge teams in the Premier League, you know, they're all having defensive problems. Uh, 
You don't see that very often. I mean, maybe you might see one or two, but three, I mean, that's already, I mean, it's it's 2020 for God's sake. It's just been a weird year. Well, Liverpool's defense has been so stellar the, the previous two years. And, I mean, even before Van Dyke got hurt, uh, you know, they've been they've been giving up a fair amount of goals. I mean, they gave up three opening match to Leeds, you know, the beatdown in the West Midlands against Villa a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you know, even though they're in third place, as I recall, I believe they're absolutely zero even on goal differential, which is pretty unusual. If you're if you're like in a top three, top four spot and you're sitting even on your goal difference, that's that's kind of an unusual statistic. It is. Hmm. I mean, we'll just have to see how Liverpool can manage. I'm very curious to see how they go through the rest of the season without Virgil van Dijk. You know, it's obviously definitely it's a nail biter, but all there is to do is just wait and see. Well, you don't have any choice. You you just have to sh- you you soldier on. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a contact sport. Injuries are a very, very real part of it, and they can happen to anybody at any time. They can happen in games. They can have, you know, people blow out ACLs and have catastrophic injuries even in practice. So, you know, your season can, can turn on a dime. But, uh, but, yeah, clearly, you know, this is a game where not only, not only does Liverpool need a win, but... They need to pad that goal difference a little bit. They need to be absolutely ruthless against the Blades this coming weekend. Absolutely. So now we get to got a couple of games to talk about. Um, there's we got Southampton and Everton and Arsenal and Leicester City. I think okay. You know what? Everton. Okay. Yeah, there's no way Everton. Can, I mean, Everton's hot. I think Everton just keeps it going. I think Everton wins three nothing. I think I think Everton. Gets at least a couple goals down on the coast, and um, I don't think they'll have too much trouble seeing off the Saints on Sunday. No, neither do I. And as far as uh, Arsenal and Leicester City go, I think I have to go with Arsenal on this one. Yeah, uh, playing at home at the Emirates, I would give I would give Arsenal the edge too. Um, you know, the Foxes have played some pretty good ball. Uh, you know, Brendan Rodgers continues to do a, a good job coaching at Leicester. But uh, this one is probably the number two most interesting matchup of the weekend because they're teams that are definitely towards the top of the standings. And, um, you know, they're both they're both playing in the in the Europa League. Um, and, uh, you know, they're hoping to, to contend again, you know, for, for an EPL title. Yeah, what's funny about this game, Steve, is – the, the loser of this game drops to fifth, if, and uh, well, if Arsenal wins, it allows them, you know, to take fourth. But if if Leicester loses, they drop down to fifth. So it's kind of like huh, Arsenal really wants to win so they can move up, but Leicester City doesn't want to fall back down. Because if somehow if somehow Liverpool loses and Leicester City wins, I mean, Leicester City is going to jump up to third. Yeah, yeah, God, I hope that doesn't happen. But yeah, you know, it's. Uh... But it's 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 kind of an interesting game to try to pick, but um, but I think uh, I think Arsenal should take this one on Sunday. I agree. All right, so we're done with Premier League talk. Now let's go to the really exciting part. Now we're talking about the a match day one of the group stage campaign of the 2020-2021 UEFA Champions League tournament. Really off to quite 
a funny start. <laughs> in group stage uh, one, uh, for, uh, uh, since we're going to stick to the interesting games, you know, Chelsea and Sevilla. And Sevilla, excuse me. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, there's something about Sevilla. I wrote, I wrote an article on Primetime Sports about three bold predictions about this year's Champions League. It really got like a lot of people talking. I mean, even one of my friends who lives in Sweden read it, and he said, wow, Alex, you really got guts saying this. I'm just like, well, you know what? Because I have Sevilla as the, t- as the tournament's dark horse. And th- this is what I'm explaining. I mean, even though it was just a 0-0 draw, you know, Sevilla, you know, for Sevilla to, like, kind of, for, you know, hold Chelsea. I mean, especially the fact that Christian Pulisic played this game. They were able to, you know, contain the likes of, you know, I was looking at, yeah, yeah Pulisic was there. Timo uh, Werner was there, you know, uh, as the sole striker. Angelo Conte, then Jorginho. They were just able to, like, contain, the, you know, the, that kind of team. And, you know, all for a 0-0 draw. So, that's part Sevilla's of the reason. Sevilla's a good side. Yeah. Sevilla is a good side. They keep winning... Uh, Europa Cups, but even in the European Super Cup against Bayern Munich, uh, they played the Germans pretty damn tough, and they actually forced that game in the in the overtime. And um, you know, Seville is a team that I think that could that could clearly, you know, make it out of this group, and you know, I think they could conceivably make a run. Absolutely, you know, from a look at you know five nearly six hundred passes and eighty three percent. Pass accuracy, wow. <laughs> Had about five corners. I mean, you know, severely, you know, really, off, you know, what's funny, in this uh, this whole entire group, I mean, no team picked up the win in, in, in their uh, in their first game. I mean, Ren and uh, Krasnodar, you know, finished uh, at a draw, at a 1-1 draw. So it's just, and Chelsea is at the bottom of the group, so that's not really a good look for them. Well, I think, I think Chelsea will definitely leapfrog the the French and the Hungarian sides. You know, I think they'll have no trouble finishing in the top two of this group. You know, it's still just match day one. Yeah, it's just match day one, and I mean another soccer Lazio a three one win against Dortmund. <laughs> that wasn't as much of a surprise. I mean, they were playing in Rome. Uh, Lazio got you know they had a dominating performance. Um, actually, the Italian sides did very very well. On, on day one of the Champions League, and we can go into that a little bit more, but um, tough start for, for Dortmund, but uh, but Lazio looked pretty good. They did. I mean, it's been a long time. I think this is their first Champions League since 2008. Been a while. Yeah, a long time. Been a long time. So, and, and I know that Lazio's had so many rough years in, in Serie A. I'm not sure the last time, because I know there was times where Lazio was popular, they were really good. I'm not sure if that was in the 90s or in the early 2000s, but I know that there was a time where Lazio was one of the best teams in Serie A. Well, you know, Lazio has a bit of a complex. Uh, they've generally been the number two club in Rome, but behind Roma. Uh, so, you know, for them to finally get into the Champions League and make a good start, it, it's, a, it, it, it's a good look for them. So it's a, it's a good way to start the competition off. It is, and... Speaking of getting the competition off, I mean, Juventus had a two nothing win against Dynamo uh, Kiev. Uh, I think it's a U- Ukrainian club with yep. Al- Alvaro Morata having both goals. Gotta say, I love those orange chain strips that uh, Juventus had for this road trip. Uh, kind of an interesting departure from their usual black and white stripes that they usually wear at home. But uh, I actually got to look to see if I can 
find that jersey if it's possible to order it. But I, I got to say, it was actually a pretty cool jersey. Good performance in Ukraine uh, by Juventus. Uh, Weston McKinney, as I recall, was not able to play because he's out for COVID. Uh, so it would have been nice to have seen another American. There are actually a few Americans that had a chance to, to play in some of these Champions League games. So this is, this is a nice development as well. It is. I mean, hopefully it can impact the, the future of the U.S. men's national team. No, absolutely. Okay. Now we get to, okay, well, can't go into the, this one. Barcelona playing against, uh, the, uh, I can't say, uh, Ferenc and Varos. And, I mean, Barcelona, okay, I mean, I'm not surprised. Barcelona, you know, with, with a big win. Uh, much to my surprise, uh, you know, Antoine Griezmann did not start this game. But uh, the reason why I'm not surprised, honestly, was because there was news lately that he had a he had a row with uh, with the manager because he feels like the manager's not playing him right, and then there's the counter says the manager told Griezmann you know I'm the manager I decide how you play yada 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 so it doesn't surprise me that Griezmann was not in the starting lineup in this game and I mean well Griezmann is Griezmann is having having a hard time in Barcelona regardless of the manager so you know it's it's ridiculous for him to to say a whole lot. I mean, I don't blame Coleman for putting him on the bench because, frankly, most of the time he's been with Barcelona. Um, Griezmann has been, frankly, very, very disappointing. I mean, it's a, it's a shame too. I mean, even Didi Deschamps, even there was news that said that no matter what Griezmann has done in the past, if he does not play correctly, if he does not provide, he risks he risks losing his spot. But. Francis. France has too many really good forwards in that system. Uh, they Deschamps would have no trouble finding another forward to replace Griezmann. But uh, but Barcelona, after that whole freaking soap opera that's been going on, uh, you know they let the they let the La Liga title slip away from them. They played just horrible after the restart uh, during the summer. Uh, got thoroughly annihilated by Bayern Munich in the, the Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, you know, they haven't exactly been playing great ball in La Liga with the beginning of their new year. So, you know, the 5-1 victory against the Hungarians, uh, yeah, they're pretty happy about that. Yeah, all right. No, Usman Dembele uh, came in and scored a late goal. Yeah, you know, good, good thing for that. And... Um, you know, uh, mission accomplished for Barcelona. They they got the home win, and you know they were able to to get a four goal differential in the game as well. So, um, mad props to them. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully for the Catalans that that that'll be a, a sign of progress for them. I guess the only uh, bad thing is uh, since uh, Gerard Piquet was sent off in the game, he's not going to appear against Juventus. So. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Actually, that that will be that will be an interesting one to watch on the next match day. Mm-hmm. It's next uh, next Wednesday. Yeah. All right. Now we get to uh, okay. I want to say well, there's a game I want to talk about, but I want to save that for last. But now I want to jump to you know. Let's get this one out of the way. Real Madrid and Shakhtar Donetsk. Ukrainian <sighs> champs. <laughs> this one. This one is interesting on so many different levels because. I mean, even under normal conditions, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk going to Madrid, getting the win, would have been pretty good news anyway. But 
This is a side that was decimated by COVID. This was an entirely replacement B squad that Donetsk fought to this match. And they're up three zip early on against Real Madrid, who, you know, to be fair, uh, Zidane got burned a little bit too. He was, he was resting Ramos. Um, and there were some other players that were on the bench to start with. And Real Madrid did make the game more interesting in the end, uh, but they still lost three to two at home. So this one, this one by far and away was the most stunning result of uh, match day one for the Champions League. I mean, looking at the uh, this lineup, Luka Jovic, the, the young Serbian striker, you know, was there. Uh, the Brazilian uh, Rodrigo, uh, Luka Modric was there. I mean, you know, Rafael Varane, unfortunately, another own goal for them. You know, but the defense, you know, Ferland Mendy, Rafael Varane, Marcelo, I mean. Real Madrid should have had a problem winning, and you know it, it nearly ended in a tie. But unfortunately, because of an offside, uh, that late, that late goal was was erased. You know, it, you know Benzema w- w- didn't start. Tony Cruz was not w- did not start. So yeah, you know. well they were. To, I think clearly Zidane had his side. He's got his eyes stuck on the Clasico. They play Barcelona this weekend, so clearly. You know, that's that was the big thing on his mind. And, you know, that's the thing that makes it tough. You know, when you're playing your soccer on two fronts, you know, when you're trying to play in your domestic league on the weekends and then you have these weekday European matches and you're trying to balance your side and you're trying not to have them be overtaxed. And it's such a chess game for how do managers, you know, manage their sides so that, Players don't get prone to injury or get burned out, but uh, but but clearly having his eyes on the classical match against Barcelona, uh, it cost Real Madrid big today against the Ukrainians. Do you think that's why the likes of do you think that's why Sergio Ramos was rested because because of the game for this, that's this Saturday? No question, no question. I mean, look, you read the newspapers and you see that the entire starting lineup for for Shakhtar Donetsk is out of commission because of COVID. So you think that you've got this one in the bag. You think that even, you know, all things being equal, even if, even if Shakhtar Donetsk had his A squad, I would think that Zidane thinks that uh, he would probably rest Ramos, even in that circumstance. And the fact that <laughs> the Ukrainians came with essentially a B side uh, I, I think a lot of people would have rested Ramos, so I don't think I would go too hard on Zidane for that. I think I think probably the bigger issue is I, I think I think the players also underestimated their adversary. Oh, they did. Uh, the the Donetsk came out of blocks fast, and you know it's a side that's got some talent. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I just, I mean, I'm shocked, but. Real Madrid. I mean, they better get it together. I mean, this you know, this Saturday. I mean, it's unacceptable to lose to Barcelona. But now, now we get to Ajax and Liverpool. Yeah. Well, it's a it's it's a good result for the Reds. Um, you know, anytime you're you're going to Amsterdam to play Ajax, because you know that they're going to have a bunch of really ridiculously talented young players. Uh, there's history. I mean, you know, between Liverpool and Ajax, that's I think that's ten Champions League slash Champions Cup titles. 
you know, so much, so much history uh, with those sides. So Liverpool benefiting from a from an own goal for Ajax. They get the win. Mission accomplished. Um, move on to match day two. It's just you know the winning because of an own goal on the on the, uh, on the Dutch side. It's. I mean, I, I this game. I mean, I, I figured this. You know, I figured Liverpool would win, but like three to one. But I never expected a one nothing win. You know, with just uh, with from an own goal because you know Mane, Firmino, and Salah being on the on the attack. I figured you know Liverpool was really gonna have a good time scoring, but it just didn't happen. Well, and you know they also come off that. You know that bone crunching match against Everton, and, and um, you know it's it's. I actually was very afraid for this game. I really thought that with the rivalry game and you know how physical it was and how emotional it was, uh, and then to to come back and and go to Amsterdam to play Ajax. Um, I don't care how they did it, but they were able to get the ones that win. So it, good for the Reds. Good for them. Uh, so now, now there's uh, Manchester City really took care of business against Porto. You know, Porto did take the lead, held the held the, had a brief lead until Sergio Aguero equalized on a penalty. And from the rest of the game, I, f- I felt like it was probably gonna end up as a draw. But but you know, after this, after 65th minute, Manchester City's up two one, and then eight, eight minutes later, it's three to one. So I mean, I'm not surprised. I, f- I I knew Manchester City would win comfortably, but I mean. Nothing, nothing much to say about this game, really. No, you know, it's it's the type of game that Pep Guardiola was happy to get. Got some goals. Um, you know, it's uh, a, just a day at the office for for Man City. Uh, they just just too much too much talent for the Portuguese champs. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, this game really didn't go up for your, for your French club. Uh, Marseille losing to Olympiacos. In injury time, no less. <laughs> um, uh. Actually, actually, let's let's be honest. It was a pretty crappy match day one for all three French sides uh, between Rennes, Marseille, PSG. Out of three teams, one point out of the three teams. Rennes was the only team that managed to get a point. Uh, Marseille losing in Olympiacos, not a total surprise. Um but uh, yeah, it's you know, and they've been having they've been very very up and down in French league uh, as well, uh, Marseille. But um, you know, Ren, I think Ren still has a chance. Where in their group, I think they can be competitive. But um, but yeah, but Marseille, you know, just that last little little lack of concentration at the end it stopped them from being able to get, come out of Greece with a point, which would have been nice. I mean, speaking speaking of Ren. This was this was cha- uh, sh- excuse me. This was shared on the Stoppage Time FC uh, page, but Alexei Lalas apparently he has Ren getting out of the group stage. <laughs> I don't know. If, I, don't know pretty, if saw, I don't know if you saw that, but I heard that. I'd heard that. I thought that was a pretty ballsy pick. Um, it's very very ballsy because you know given how you know for a lot of soccer fans they hold you know the French league on in. Uh, and French club soccer in general, aside from PSG, uh, most people hold uh, French soccer in uh, a huge amount of disdain. So, uh, so yeah, I think that was kind of a kind of a positive thing. And um, 
So, you know, I, I hope he's right. I'd, I'd love to see the Britons, the Bretons, uh, be able to play knockout soccer. I think that would be a wonderful thing for them to be able to bring to Brittany if they can get out of the group and get to the round of 16. Yeah, exactly. This, this is actually really, really funny, but some people say that Alexi Lawless is the Stephen A. Smith of soccer. <laughs> um, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Um, you know, but it, it, I'll, I'll say this. At least he's not Skip Bayless. Um, oh, yeah. No, no pundit is as much of a douchebag as Skip Bayless, in my opinion. Exactly. Now, before we get to the piece de resistance, I want to talk about Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid. Number one, the first thing i got to say about this game is Bayern Munich picked up exactly where they left off in the last Champions League. You know, at least you know, on their way to the final. I mean, a 4 nothing win. You know, Kingsley Coman... Two goals. Colantan Deliso added one as well, and then another dude named uh, Leon Koretska added. And you know, Kingsley Kingsley Coman, he keeps scoring goals like this. I guarantee you, he's going to be on the squad for France at the end at the next Euro uh, Euro title. I'll tell you what, Deliso's goal was a thing of beauty. Uh, that one was just absolutely a rocket. It was incredible how quickly he was able to react to a loose deflected ball at the edge of the box, did not hesitate, and just pile-drived it. And Atletico Madrid, and, you know, I I love to, to rag on Diego Simeone. Um, not a fan of his as far as a coach, uh, his theatrics, his generally boring style of play. But it's, it's not every day when somebody's able to put four goals into an Atletico Madrid uh, net. So, uh, and you alluded to it, you know, a few weeks back on, on the pod that uh, uh, Bayern Munich should be considered the, the favorite to repeat. And I, I would agree with you right now. It's, it's just a formidable side. I mean, they're, they're tough. I mean, this is probably the best Bayern Munich team in the history of the club. There's even some older German fans who who actually would be in agreement with you on that. Um, I I gotta say that um, I mean I've seen some really really good German club sides teams that have won uh, that have lifted the Champions League slash uh, Champions Cup. Um, this team is just incredibly deep and incredibly talented and they score a lot uh it's a it's a really really fun team to watch uh so uh so yeah it's this team is just a powerhouse i mean i should not say this but a lot of people say that manuel newer is better than oliver khan i mean i don't even know if i i don't even know if i can say that that's pretty tough. That's pretty tough comparison to make. I mean, Khan was a really, really good goaltender. You know, Newer's an excellent goaltender too. Uh, they're very, very different type of goalies. Um, Oliver Khan was just such a physical presence. He reminded me a lot of uh, Peter Schmeichel. You know, they both they both kind of looked like outside linebackers. They wouldn't have been uh, out of place playing outside linebacker in American football. Um, Oliver Kahn had def- definitely had that had that attitude, um, but Newer, 
he's an excellent goaltender too. Um, but you know, greater than Oliver Kahn, you know, I don't know if I'm totally sold on that one yet. I mean, I can't, but, but, uh, as we wrap up this game, we get, we finally get to the game I want to talk about is I get the feeling that Kingsley Coman, he's, he's going to have a, if France has a brilliant run in the Euro, I don't know why, but I have a feeling that Kingsley Coman is, is going to be a huge part of it. Well, he's certainly playing in the right system with Bayern Munich. Um, his his game is hitting on all cylinders with the Bavarians. I mean, he's really proving a point. Like, he, because you know that's that's the thing with the French national team. You have to earn your spot. I mean, even I mean that's why Didier Deschamps said uh, that warning to Antoine Griezmann. Anything he's done in the past, even if he scored in the World Cup final, whatever, if he does not play good, he's not going to have his spot. It's not only be, it's not only because there's always plenty of talent available. That's just the kind of manager that Didier Deschamps is. That's the conservative managing that he is. He wants results. That's what France is all about. When when you play for the, one of the best national teams in history, you gotta put up the results, or else you don't represent the team. Because France cannot afford to not qualify or or, or to not have a good run. It's it's not good for the national team. No, no question. And you know, Coleman, Coleman undoubtedly will be a part of that squad for the Euros. But uh, but the amount of young talent, it's not just old veteran talent like Lewandowski and players like that, but you know these young kids that Bayern Munich is getting, the, the Canadian, Alfonso Davies, he is just an absolute weapon coming out of left back, you know, coming into like a wing-type position. His, his speed is just absolutely breathtaking, and uh, he has great instincts. He can dribble. Um, he, he's really, you know, he, he's part of this newer group of North American players. You know, if you're talking about, you know, Mexican players, American players that are playing in Europe, uh, Alfonso Davies, um, uh, I think all of 20 years old and already has himself a, a Bundesliga title and a, and a Champions League medal. So, uh, Bayern Munich, they're doing a really good job of getting their young talent, and mixing it in with uh, with the Greybeards. I mean, him uh, playing for his national team, playing for Canada. I mean, I I, I don't know how he's gonna what's gonna go on with, as far as his international career goes, but I just thought that this kid's really got a bright future. Well, and let's not forget too the 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 twenty twenty six World Cup is going to be shared by the U.S. Mexico and Canada, all three countries as host countries qualify. So Canada will already be qualified for that World Cup. So that's um, six years from now. You know, six years, Davies will be 26, 27 years old. He's going to be at his peak. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how much, how much other talent that uh, Canada is going to be able to develop. I mean, it, it'll be fine. I mean, you know, by then I'm sure I'm going to be in the I'm going to be in, a, in my career in peak of my career. So I wouldn't be surprised if I if I got sent out to uh to to, to you know cover any of the games. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm highly you know, uh, if if I'm a if I'm a Canadian soccer fan, I'm just absolutely giddy about this young man's progress. Uh, he's just he's just really quite the player, and he, he's, he's really awfully fun to watch with, with Bayern Munich. It's a fun team to watch. 
you know, even even though I'm not the world's biggest Bayern Munich fan, you know, but I will say uh, this this is really a, fu- a fun team to watch play. It is. It totally is. And a lot of people forget it. Canada actually went to the World Cup one time in 86. Well, part of the reason they went in 86 is because uh, actually it was um, 82. Or no, wait a sec. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was 86, it was 86 yeah. Uh, they they did qualify. Um, almost held France to a draw in that in that game. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a while since the Canadians have been in a in a World Cup, so um, you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see if you know we can develop a, a little bit of a better rivalry. Because I mean, right now in Concacaf, uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned, right now the the two biggest rivals are are Mexico and uh, Costa Rica. But yeah. uh, but uh, I mean, the rest of the rest of the region is improving and. Uh, yeah, you know, I I see nothing but positives uh, for for the game in the Americas if uh, if Canada can really get their game going. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and all my friends are always like, "Don't worry, Alex. France will qualify for the World Cup. They will. They got the talent. They'll do." I'm like, "But it's the mentality. It's the attitude that's always the problem." But now we get to finally the most exciting one: Manchester United and Paris Saint Germain. I'm, Your two favorite teams. Yes, my two favorite teams. And I wrote an article on three keys to victory for Paris Saint-Germain. I said one of them is do not underestimate the Red Devils because that's what happened last time in that infamous Manchester, in that infamous round of 16 game where unfortunately Plesnel Kipembe, one of the greatest defenders in Europe today, was caught using his hand, even though it might not have been intentional, but it was a handball that crushed Paris Saint-Germain. PSG did exactly what I told them not to do. They underestimated the Red Devils, and it, it has cost them. It was a it, it, you got to say it was a pretty darn good week at the office for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's guys. Um, getting getting the four goals in Newcastle, um, and then going to Parc de Prince, winning two to one, and. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that are seriously wondering if Man U can even get out of the group stage in this group. But uh, huge win for for Man U. Very, very disappointing loss for the Parisians. You know, for, for Paris Saint-Germain, it, it was the same thing that would happen in the Champions League final. They just could not score. Every chance they got, they could not put the ball in. Mbappe had some chances, uh, just was not able to put away, put them away. And and the old adage, if you don't put away your chances, you will get punished. And that's what happened. Uh, Rashford scored a really, really nice goal. And um, you know they got the three points coming out of Paris. So what's really so, scaring me is that Mbappe's starting to ha- prove a reputation that he's not a clutch player. Well, I think that's a little bit harsh. Um, because I think because because clearly with the French national team, uh, I think Mbappe he he shows up for the the matches for France. So I mean, I don't think I don't think that's really a fair critique. Um, he certainly wasn't as much of a factor as hoped in the the Champions League final against Bayern Munich for PSG, but Mbappe played very very well 
I thought, uh, for PSG in the Champions League games leading up to that point. You know, he, he, he didn't exactly have, have a stellar game. And, uh, you know, it, it, happens, it happens to the best of them. Uh, sometimes, I mean, people, people knock uh, Lionel Messi all the time because they feel like every time Argentina gets into a, a title match, whether it's at the World Cup or the Copa America, that he somehow does a disappearing act and somehow that takes away from his, his greatness as a player. So, anyway, but uh, I think it's a little bit of a harsh criticism of Mbappe. I don't, I don't think he qualifies as a, as a choke artist. Not even close. He's not a choke artist. But, you know, he's still young, so, I mean, he, he's you know, obviously still learning. I mean, you know, anybody can say whatever they want. You know, he's already a World Cup champion, and he scored in the finals, so... So he's he, he's far from being a choke artist, but but what's special in this game, you know, when Manchester United got the penalty, the first time it was missed, but apparently, Bruno, you know, Bruno Fernandez, yeah, it didn't look good for him, you know, missing two consecutive penalties. But since the Parisian goalkeeper Navas, the Costa Rican dude, made a mistake, um, he was early off his line. Yeah, yeah and, and it was obvious. So but still, Manchester United got lucky. I mean, the referee could the referee could have, you know. Blow blew it off if he wanted to, but uh, luckily he didn't. So, the referee has been instructed to be much, much more strict about the goaltenders staying on their line for the PKs. And I mean, this was something that started, you know, with the with the the last Women's World Cup, and uh, that's that's continued on into the men's game as well. That uh, and both. In international matches, you're seeing it, and club level matches, you're seeing it. The referees are being much more strict on on the goaltenders staying on their line. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I noticed it, and I mean, I always ask myself, like, so if that happens, if, if the goalkeeper does it again, like, would the goalkeeper be given a, a, a straight red card, or just would they just keep doing it until the goalkeeper doesn't make the mistake? I can see where if they would do like a second one in a row, I can see probably a yellow. I think a red would be a bit harsh, but um, but I do think if if a goaltender on consecutive penalties, if they were told twice that they left their line early, sure, I can see a yellow card for that. Yeah, I mean it, it would be fair, but but what's what's amazing, you know, how ironic it is that Marcus Rashford scores the game-winning goal late in the game. I mean that's exactly how it happened, you know, two years uh, two years ago. So uh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, well, you know, you know how it happened that time. But although in that situation it was different, it was you know in stoppage time, it was a penalty. But Marcus Rashford seems to be coming, be able to come up uh, clutch uh, against Paris Saint Germain. So gotta ask, since those are your two favorite teams, which one were you rooting for more? That's a good question. Probably Manchester United. Yeah, I'm kind of like in a similar boat. I mean, if Marseille were to play Liverpool, I was a Liverpool fan before I became a Marseille fan when I was studying in France years ago. Same thing for me. I, I became I became a PSG fan really when Kylian Mbappe joined the team. But um, but yeah, I I was a I was a Liverpool fan back when uh, Kevin Keegan was still playing his last year with uh, with Liverpool when they won the the, the Champions Cup. In um, in seventy seven, 
And then um, the following year, when they, they won it again, after they brought Kenny Dogleash south from Scotland. But, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely, I, if, if push came to shove between Liverpool and Marseille, yes, I would, I would root more for Liverpool. But take Liverpool off the table, you know, Marseille is by far and away my, my, favorite, my favorite second team. It's definitely my favorite team in, in France, and there's nobody that's even a close second. And I know people can get into a, a really good uh, discussion on this idea of, as a soccer fan, can you have more than one favorite team? I don't think you can have more than one favorite team in the same country. But I do think if, you're, if you follow multiple leagues, I think you can have favorite teams in different leagues. Mm-hmm. Like, like in, in France, I, I pull for Marseille. In Italy, I pull for for Napoli. In um, in Portugal, I pull for Sporting. Um, you know, in Spain, I pull I pull for Barcelona. So um, so yeah, those are that's that's how it goes as far as you know different national teams and or different club teams and stuff. But uh, but no, I was I was curious of the two which which way you were going to be leaning more. No, I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm sure so- a lot of the fans, you know, were wondering because, you know, especially those who uh, follow me on Twitter. I mean, if you saw the game, if you saw me tweet during the game, you probably would know. But but I was going for Manchester United because, you know, because, you know, for, for as far as PSG goes, the player I care about really, all I care about is is Mbappe. But for, PS, uh, but for Manchester United, you know, there's Pogba, Martial, all those guys. I mean, I am a fan of, of Rashford, and I, I do care about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because I'll never forget being six years old and watching him win the ch- watching him score that goal in the Champions League final. I mean, I'm always asking myself. Sometimes I feel bad if I mispronounce the name, but that, the name is just so difficult. Those Norwegian names are just so difficult to pronounce. But but I'm pretty sure you know that's how it is. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is just a guy I respect. You know, he's really doing his best. I mean, he's not perfect, but he's doing his best to kind of help the team. You know, a lot of Man U fans, they're just like, you know, Cowboy fans. You know, they already want the guy gone. You know, look, look, I get it. You know, he was brought in the team when the team's a mess. He's not been able to get him out yet. But, you know, the, the guy's doing his best. But you got to understand, we don't know what it's like to be in this situation. I mean, the same thing with Zidane. I mean, I think that Zidane might have made a mistake returning to Real Madrid because, you know, he was put in a mess that he didn't create. And now he's, and he's been trying to clean it up. But it's just mess after mess after mess after mess. So... There's nope. definitely problems there. There's definitely problems. I mean, they lost over the weekend in Spain to Cadiz, yeah. and Cadiz isn't isn't even a good team from the from the south of Spain. It's not even it's not even close to being in the same class as Sevilla, for example. Uh, you know, getting getting beaten by by Cadiz was was really a head scratcher for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's ironic I mean, because Barcelona lost to a small team too that that day. I mean, I mean, truly, for me, it would be like Man U um, or Chelsea getting getting defeated by by Fulham or or something like that right now in in the in the EPL. That's the closest comparison I I can think of at the moment. But um, but anyway, but. Um, I, I will say this: that um, definitely a lot more things uh, mixed up, a little more, a little more parity uh, in the EPL in La Liga. 
Um, even even in the even in the Bundesliga, uh, Bayern Munich wasn't totally out of the shoot. Uh, great. So, I, I think having a certain more level of competitiveness in the leagues is a good thing. It's it's frankly kind of boring when it's the same team year after year that keeps winning. I mean, in Liga, I mean, PSG has just been absolutely dominant. I mean, in the last nine years, with the exception of 2012, when uh, Montpellier were surprise winners, and I think it was a five years ago when Monaco won uh, with a very young Mbappe, uh, you know, for the most part, it's it's not as much fun following the French league because PSG has just been so dominant. In Italy, uh, Juventus is absolutely ruled. I think they're up to nine uh, Scudettos in a row. So, uh, so it's it's nice. It's in the bigger picture. I think it's nice to to see things a little bit more competitive right now. All right. Well said. So now that we're done with match day one, um, as far as match day two, there's really no interest. I mean, the only interesting games really is Marseille and Man City and Juventus and Barcelona. So there's really nothing really to talk about. I mean, unless you want, if you want to talk about those two games, we can. But you know, I mean, I'm looking at these things. I'm just like, yeah, this is not really exciting. <laughs> you know, Man Man City will be even even if the game's going to be. I believe they're playing at Marseille. They are. Uh, uh, even even playing in Marseille, Man City should be you know clear favorites uh, to win that game. Um, at a certain point, uh, Marseille is going to have to win some games if they want to have a prayer of of playing any type of spring soccer whatsoever, uh, even to try to finish third in that group. So, you know, we'll we'll see. Well, and and as far as Juventus and Barcelona, I mean, what's really the key, you know the number one highlight of that game is 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 a match we've all been waiting for, Ronaldo versus Lionel Messi. <laughs> well, I mean it's a flowback to when Ronaldo was still playing in Spain and Real Madrid and Barca. You know they would play in the Clasico, so they would play mano a mano. You know at least twice a year. So so now we get to have these two giants of this past generation who have both of them have played at such an incredibly high level for so long. And, um, you know, I, I'm highly looking forward to this. It, it should be a very, very entertaining game. Okay. Well, if, let's go. We'll go in. We'll give a prediction on this one. I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to piss a lot of people off. I'm going to go with a two and two tie. Oh, with Barcelona and Juventus. Yeah. I think Juve wins this one too, Zip. Okay, well, you know, I thought I pissed people off. I, th- I think you might have just, you might have done just that, but, but, but that's, but that's a good pick. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a game I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna, I mean, uh, even though we're like, we'll be recording next Wednesday. I mean, this is a game I'm really gonna, I'm probably gonna sit down and do my little uh, psychological examination mode on this game. It's just one of those games where I feel like I got to do that. No question. Well, that's up a great talk. You know, we really were productive this episode. Because last week, since there was the bye week for Premier League, I, I felt like in this episode we really had to take things up a notch uh, more. And, and we, really, we really did that, I feel like. 
a lot of talking points uh, with both the EPL and the Champions mm-hmm. League. Uh, since we didn't do a, an episode last week, um, you know, apologize a little on the length of this one, but uh, you know, there were just a lot of talking points. So I'm glad we had a chance to talk them over. Yeah, and I know some of the folks, if you guys were wondering why we recorded today instead of our usual Tuesdays, because, look, this there's the Premier League and then there's the Champions League. You know, Since this show is all about giving the fans, we wanted to give you something extra. We want to talk about everything, like put it all in one. And, you know, and honestly, I felt like, you know what, if, since the match days ended today, why not do it tonight? You know, why not? It would be, it would be stupid to not to. No, agreed. So I'm glad we were able to hit the talking points that we wanted to discuss. Amen to that. So I'd like to remind everybody that Into the Net FC, the soccer talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Steve, it was an honor to once again have you on the show. I look forward to having you back next week. Good to talk to you. Everybody have a good rest of your week.